Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And as always, I am thrilled and grateful that Dr. Marty Greer has joined us for Veterinary Voice on her day off, where she's done way more than most people do on their regular work days. (laughs) All right, y'all. Looking to enhance your breeding program? Spring into action with Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit. Did you know that Embark tests across 230,000 markers? That's twice as much as its leading competitor, making Embark the most accurate dog DNA test on the market. Embark has customized its probes for results such as 210 plus genetic health risks, 35 traits, and genetic diversity. Each genetic health condition is tested using at least three and up to eight separate probes. This redundancy gives an extremely high genotyping accuracy with over 99.99% accuracy for mutation tests specifically and 99% for most linkage-based tests. Find out why responsible breeders trust Embark to enhance their breeding program. Right now, you can save on the most comprehensive dog DNA kit. Just visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to receive $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK just for you. Thank you, Marty. I just always want to make sure that you know how much my listeners and I all appreciate you. Well, that's good. But a day off to me, it just means I don't have staff scheduled in my exam rooms for me. (laughs) It doesn't mean I'm not in the exam room. It doesn't mean I'm not in the surgery room. It doesn't mean I'm not doing other things. It just means they look at me like, yeah, we don't have anybody on your appointment. So you're on your own. So good luck. (laughs) You know, it's amazing. You are amazing. So today we're bringing your amazing knowledge to the topic of some of the various and sundry things that can create incompatibilities in a natural breeding. So this was a listener request. Shout out listeners. If you have a request, tell me about it. This is one of those. Somebody asked about strictures. I'm sure they had just encountered them. I have encountered more than I care to discuss. So, (laughs) and that's not really quite enough to take us through this time, but there's other situations that can develop that can cause your two on the hoof, on the paw dogs to not accomplish a natural breeding. Absolutely. So let's talk about it. Let's start with strictures because it's a personal favorite of mine. (laughs) Yeah. So these are kind of interesting. And I think stricture kind of lumps together a couple of different disorders that probably shouldn't really be categorized together, but we don't know where else to put them. So a stricture is probably by definition the inability of the vaginal vault or vaginal opening to stretch adequately to allow 
either a natural mating with a tie and a penis or the vaginal delivery of puppies. So what does that really mean? That means that for whatever reason, when we do a vaginal exam on a female dog, preferably when she's in heat, because it's really unkind and unfair to stick your fingers in a dog that's not in heat, unless you're doing some really important thing like trying to put in a urinary catheter because she can't urinate. That's another discussion. But typically, we don't do a vaginal exam on a female until she's in heat and preferably close to being in standing heat. So what are we feeling? What do we feel? And what are you going to notice if you were to try and check? And that's that for whatever reason, the normal amount of space isn't there. It can be that the lips of the vulva, the skin part are really tight and you just can't adequately get them to stretch. It can mean that there's a circumferential stricture, meaning all the way around, it's just not stretchy enough once you get into the vaginal vault. It can mean that there's a column of tissue, a septum down the middle. Usually it runs from top to bottom, meaning that where the uterine horns should divide when you get up into the uterus, that for whatever reason, that tissue didn't adequately separate. So we can reach in sometimes and feel these when we're doing our pre-breeding exams, our TCIs, or females in labor, and we can't get the puppies to be delivered that we can feel that there's a band of tissue there that you have to either go right of or left of, but going right down the middle isn't going to work. So we'll find that sometimes when we're, like I said, doing a TCI, if we're putting in a shunt or putting the scope in, we'll see it sometimes at delivery. If a puppy's not coming out, we can reach in. I had one dog that came to us from a couple states away and drove in for a breeding. We were going to do a TCI, and I always do a vaginal exam before we do that, just because if you're going to put semen in, you also need to know if something's going to come out through the same opening before you get the bitch pregnant, not afterwards. And I usually will tell people, you know, things aren't real stretchy in here. It might not be roomy enough. You may end up with a C-section, but that can change. So we'll check her again at the time of the puppy count x-ray. But in this particular dog, I reached in and I could feel this really wide column of tissue top to bottom of the vaginal vault, so a septum. And it was probably about three or four centimeters wide. Now, it wasn't that thick, but it was that wide. And so I could kind of get my finger in front of it and feel it. But my husband and I had come in. It was Easter Sunday. The dog had driven from a state away. She hadn't had a pre-breeding exam with us until that day because of the distance she lives. She lives close to eight hours from us. And because it was Easter Sunday, it was me and my dear husband, Dan, who does all the holidays with me and the client. And I thought, you know, this is not a good day to go in and take a piece of tissue that's four centimeters wide and make an incision into it because there aren't enough bodies in the building that if this doesn't go well, that I have the backup for correcting this. We also checked her at the time of her C-section and it was still there and I could exteriorize it. But again, she had a brand new litter of nine puppies that were successfully bred by the frozen semen that we put in her on Easter Sunday. And I really, again, didn't feel like that was an appropriate time to put her in any kind of a risky situation. So if you do find one, you may decide that you're not going to do the breeding at that point. You may see it's something that's surgically correctable. Some of them are, and frankly, some of them aren't. And until you're in that situation, it can be really hard to know. And so then we have to make a decision. Do we put the semen in? Do we plan a C-section? Do we see what's going to happen? And sometimes you don't find out if a vaginal exam wasn't done or it wasn't completely done, whether that's going to be successful or not. So in our practice and in a lot of practices that do canine reproduction, the veterinarian that's doing the breeding or managing the breeding is going to say, I'm going to do my own physical exam. And therefore, I'm also going to charge you for that physical exam because I'm providing you a service, you need to pay for that. 
and clients will say, but I was just at my vet and my vet said everything was fine. Well, unless your vet does a lot of reproduction and has ended up in C-sections at strange hours of the day because puppies got hung up on a septum or got hung up because the vaginal vault didn't stretch enough or mm-hmm. whatever particular defect, because there's probably, I don't know, 10 defects that can cause this. Unless your veterinarian did that, check the mammary glands for tumors, check for hernias, check the heart, you know, check everything that you really need to check that's not a health screening test per se but it's still part of the bitch's health protocol before you put the semen in, you have to pay me for my physical exam because you're paying for my opinion on whether this is an appropriate thing to be doing. And if it means she's going to be due on the day of your son's wedding and you're not planning on a C-section, you need to know this stuff in advance. You can't just put the semen in and they go, whoops. Oops. Well, and when I say I've encountered a number of bitches with strictures, I mean, I barely have enough fingers to count them. We had a clumber bitch that had a stricture like in a horn. And so she'd whelp one puppy and then she wouldn't be able to get the other one out. Mm-hmm. And she went back and forth screaming, mm-hmm. trying to get the puppies out. We had a wire hair bitch that the stricture that you described, my repro vet at the time, Dr. Kelly Stitch down in Nebraska said, you know, I could pick her up. I could physically pick her up off the ground by this thing. Yeah. Like, okay, so we're not going to be doing any natural breedings with this dog. Yeah. And we're scheduling a C section. And yeah. so I think that your point is really well taken that having a pre breeding exam is something too many of us don't think about and should for these reasons. And when you get to, I've got, you know, to insert flat B into slot A. And this ain't happening. <laughs> There's just no way. Whether it's an O band was described to me an O band or an H band or how they said it to me. So circumference or across, either way, you can't get it done. And so then you need to have a backup plan to have a side-by-side AI or what have you. Right. So those are all the things that you want to know in advance. So yes, there is a reason to do that. And part of the pre-breeding exam is, does she have a mammary tumor? Because if you breed her and she's got a mammary tumor and you decide that, You don't want to interrupt the pregnancy and the mammary tumor triples in size during the pregnancy, which I've seen happen. Wow. You know, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. So a pre-breeding exam is really important. The other thing that I'm going to say is that right now, canine brucellosis tests are not available in-house. Zoetis, the company that was making them and had made them for decades after they became Zoetis from Pfizer and Mm -hmm. before that they were Pittman-Moore. I mean, this test is the exact same test kit we've had on the market for 40-some years. Zoetis abruptly stopped making it. So we can't do in-house brucellosis testing. Oh, dear. Anybody anywhere in the world? Anybody anywhere in the world. Well, anybody in the United States. There are other test kits, but to my knowledge, there are none others that are FDA approved. And mark my word, I am not going to do a non-FDA approved test and then find out that the test wasn't accurate and you end up with brucellosis in your kennel because I was careless about my testing. So right now, all the dogs that are being brucellosis tested, males and females, Once your vet clinic runs out of those test kits and they're going to run out fairly soon because they're not making them anymore, we're going to end up needing to do something like they're all going to have to go to a diagnostic lab. The other thing that we've started doing in our practice in the last year is requiring a negative heartworm snap 40X test or comparable test on all the females that we're breeding. Now, I had one dog die on my x-ray table of heartworm disease while she was pregnant, and I've had multiple dogs get really, really sick from Lyme disease during pregnancy because remember, pregnancy is in an immunocompromised state. 
And if she's got Lyme disease and sort of an arrested version, and then she becomes immunocompromised because of the pregnancy, we see a lot of bitches in Wisconsin and other states in, in our kind of geographic area that have a lot of Lyme disease get really sick toward the end of pregnancy. I had one lab that was pregnant with 10 puppies, literally couldn't walk the last three days she was pregnant because her Lyme disease flared up and it was so bad. Mm. So we don't want that to happen. We've seen dogs die of Lyme nephritis, Lyme-caused kidney disease. So we really think that it's important that you have a pre-breeding exam, including that SNAP4DX and a brucellosis test prior to her coming into heat because we no longer can say, oh yeah, we'll just run that brucella test or we'll just run that SNAP4DX because if it comes back positive and you want a confirmatory test with the C6 at IDEX, that's going to take several days to get that result back. And then once you get it back, if you decide that you need to treat her, you don't want to be putting her on doxycycline during a pregnancy. So these are all really good reasons to plan ahead and get your testing and your evaluation done, except for the vaginal exam. And like I said, right. you technically can do a vaginal exam on a female that's not in heat, but A, it's not going to be very accurate because the heat cycle and the pregnancy change the strictures, change right. the roominess of the vulva. So I wouldn't make a decision on that basis. But these are all things that you can be checking out on a heat cycle in advance or in advance of the time that she's ready to breed so that you have that all figured out. How far ahead do you feel comfortable with doing your bitches brucellosis test? Well, the rule of thumb, and I was actually just on the Theriogenology website earlier today, is they have a position statement and it says every six months. So either since the last breeding or every six months. Okay. Okay. So I've always sort of, in my mind, brucellosis test happens just when the bitch comes in season before you get her bread. But you're saying now it can actually be a little bit further ahead of that. Yeah, and it should be because if you do have a short amount of time to get the results back, you may not get them back in time. Mm-hmm. My other concern is because everything's going to a reference lab now, mm-hmm. how busy are those reference labs going to be? How much reagent are they going to have? Is there going to be a delay in those turnaround times because all of a sudden their caseload is quadrupled because nobody's doing them at house and they're all getting sent to Cornell or Iowa State or IDEX or whatever lab you decide that your veterinary clinic is going to use. Everything Mm -hmm. is shifting to those labs, so they're going to have an increase in demand. At the same time that, like most everybody else, they have a decrease in the number of staff. Right. Wow. That's actually kind of huge news that we're breaking here on Pure Dog Talk. Thank you, Marty. (laughs) It's always something. It's always something, but wow, that's kind of a big one. Heads up, people. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion cares passionately about pets and makes sure their policy has what it takes to serve you and your furry companions. In fact, they are the first pet insurance provider to cover certain health conditions associated with breeding animals through their specialized breeding rider. Their industry-leading coverage does not stop there. Trupanion's free breeder support program also allows you to send your litters home protected with an offer for a Trupanion policy. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Okay, so back to our other breeding incompatibilities. What are some of the other things you think of? Size difference? Yeah, size difference for sure. Sometimes that's deliberate. Sometimes that's not. Sometimes you just have a small female, a large male of the same breed. 
We do have purpose-bred dogs that are of two different breeds, so inherently they may be different sizes. So size-wise might make a difference. And in those cases, if one dog is shorter than the other and it's causing an incompatibility, you can do something as simple as standing one of the dogs on a stoop on your porch. Mm -hmm. You can go get a pallet. You can get some other way that you can elevate either the male or the female so that they're on a little bit different plane and that gives them a better chance to get a breeding. Now, doing that, you have to have good footing because if the male can't get up on back legs and really wrap his front legs around the female and have a good sturdy footing, he's not going to be comfortable in doing that. So Mm -hmm. kind of think about how you're going to orchestrate that. You know, back in the old days, we used to have the J.C. Penny catalog, this year's catalog, and the phone book, and we could stack those up. But those yellow uh, pages, man, I'm saying, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So they used to boost kids in chairs, and they used to be used for all kinds of things, but they're no longer the case. So you may need to kind of plan, and of course, you want to make sure that none of the dogs get injured. This is in no way me suggesting that you should use a bitch hitch or other devices that people use to rope their bitches into an incompatible, uncooperative breeding. So number two would be size. Number three, and I think probably should really be number one, is timing. Do you actually know that she's ready to breed? Because some males will be very reluctant to even bother until they know that bitch is exactly dead on. And some bitches are like, are you kidding me? I am not even close. Get away. And then (laughs) back off. She'll get snarky at him. And then some dogs are soft enough that that one bitch snarking at him can either temporarily interfere with that particular breeding Or permanently, you can permanently psychologically alter a really soft, cooperative dog into saying, oh, no, no, girls are all bad, and I'm never going to look at another one again. And you will never be able to convince him that it's okay to have an erection and have a mating. So it can be really challenging on some of these dogs that are kind of softies. And sometimes we've seen dogs, for instance, labs that have been field trial and color trained, not just labs, but other breeds as well. Right. He may have been zapped more than once right. when he was thinking about breeding to a female when it was inappropriate, whether it's in the field or in the kennel yep. or in the truck or whatever. Yep. And so we've had dogs that are quote unquote collar conditioned, collar trained, that when they walk into my breeding room, they'll see a female in heat and they will flatten out. They will drop to the floor, belly down. And it's really hard to get a collection on a dog that's laying on his belly on the floor because Mm -hmm. he's afraid that he's going to get zinged again. Mm -hmm. So it's real important that you're careful with the kind of training that you're doing that you don't permanently psychologically alter the dog's sex drive. Now, we used to take care of a fairly famous field trial Labrador, and he was trained that he was only allowed to do breedings in the owner's garage on the love rug. Love rugs are huge. Yes. Yes. So he knew it was safe on the love rug, that it was okay if if the love rug came out and the owner was there and she said go, that he would be okay with breeding. But he knew anywhere else that that was inappropriate. So not in the truck, not in the field, (laughs) not on a tie-out, not on the other things that you're supposed to be hanging around being a dog doing. So he understood those limitations, but he was a pretty smart dog. I mean, he was a field trial champion winner. So he understood what yes was and what no was, but not all dogs are created equal. Well, and I think too, honest to God, and tell me your thoughts on this. I think stud dog owners need to pay attention to that. If you have a dog that you expect either to use yourself or to have other people use more than once or twice, teaching them, yes, no, leave it. Okay. Stud dog management is a whole thing all by itself, in my opinion. Oh yeah, for sure. 
when we have difficulty collecting dogs, we have noticed that there's a fairly high incidence in the imported European dogs that are reluctant to be collected. And I don't know if they handle them differently hmm. when they're young puppies. But even my own imported dog was a little bit slow to catch on. Interesting. So I just think that if you're importing a dog, that you should be sensitive to that and be aware that there is a learning curve with some of these dogs. Not all dogs were born expecting to walk into the breeding room and perform on their first opportunity. There's a learning curve, and if it takes a little bit of time, that's okay. You just need to give them a chance, teach them, be patient with them. It may take three or four trips to the veterinary clinic. Now, there are some drugs that we can use to enhance that male's ability. They're not really Viagra, but... Wait, what? There's little blue pills for dogs? Marty, you're blowing my mind. Absolutely. Mind blown. You're killing me. We do use the blue pill for dogs, but you know what it's used for in dogs? Get ready for this, because you probably don't know this either. Megasophagus. Are you serious? I'm serious. I have one wolfhound that is on Viagra, the generic form, on a daily basis. I'm dying. <laughs> it works. Wow. It controls the megasophagus quite well. Wow. So if you have a dog with megasophagus, that's just something to put in your little brain the next time you talk to your When pet. I say I learn something new every day, I mean to tell you. <laughs> yeah. We're full of all kinds of little trivial things here in veterinary medicine. No, not trivial at all. Cool. Yeah. So anyway... Okay. There are two drugs that we can use. We can use a drug that increases the testosterone level as an injection, Mm -hmm. or we can use prostaglandins. The prostaglandins frequently will cause the dog to be nauseous and sometimes vomit. Brachycephalics will have some difficulty breathing, so I'm pretty reluctant to use them. I don't want the first experience of a stud dog coming to my practice and trying to be collected, and he feels like he's going to throw up. Really, that is not good for his libido. If they come in for other stuff the same day that we're collecting semen, like x-rays of his hips, I'm going to collect the semen first, and then I'm going to take x-rays of his hips. I want every experience he has in my room to be fun and interesting. So we have good smells on the floor. We have people that don't wear white lab coats. We don't let a whole crowd of students stand and watch. Sometimes we have to have the owner leave the room because if they've been told no, 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 when it's finally time to say yes, they're like, oh, no, 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 mom. I've been told not to do that. I'm not doing that. That's my sister. Not doing that. So, you know, there are just times that we have to say, this is really not good psychologically for the dog. We've had dogs that came to the practice that had been collected at another clinic and his penis got stuck down in the tube. So it took a couple of experiences where it wasn't painful for him to be ejaculated because he literally had an erection down into the test tube. Now, we don't collect in a tube. We collect in a soft sleeve and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Again, there's some techniques to this that you learn over the years. But I did know without learning that you should not stick a dog's penis into the tube and have it become erect because that was... I literally just threw my glasses on the... (laughs) What? What? It wasn't on purpose, purpose, but it happened. And it took three of us, one person standing on each side, me behind him, and then a person holding the bitch before he didn't just absolutely freak out the next time we tried to collect him. So we did teach him that he could live through collection. But you just have to be really, really aware that they're boys, you know. <laughs> They're so protective of those parts. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so then we get back to the female that's not quite ready. And mm-hmm. if she turned around and snarked at him, mm-hmm. he's going to be wary of that. Maybe just with that bitch, but maybe with all bitches. Right. Because he doesn't want that part bitten off. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's his favorite part. Mm-hmm. It's no different in dogs. <laughs> They're the same as our human counterparts. Yeah. My favorite thing is collecting a virgin dog and the look on their face. I know. The first time they ejaculate, they look at you like, now I've had this all my life. And this is the first time you told me this is what it's for. The look on their face is 
just priceless. So if you haven't had a chance to see it. Yeah. I have to tell you in the years of doing dogs and breeding dogs and handling dogs and all the, my personal favorite is the wire hair pointer who would ejaculate himself in his kennel run. That was his favorite thing to do. Mm, That's how he entertained himself. Yeah. Dogs do that. So yes, when people say that they need to have a clean out, they usually don't because they already (laughs) have a mechanism in place that they self-cycle. So yes, you probably don't really need to have a clean out ejaculate. And please don't do that the night before you go in to have semen frozen. If you're going to do it, do it five or more days ahead of time. Because once you ejaculate, and if especially it's an old dog with low semen quality and low semen counts, you ejaculated it, you threw it down the drain, and then you come into us the next day and say, well, I collected him as a clean out last night. You're like, oh, great. Now we have nothing left. So thanks so much. So you just drove here for two hours for nothing. So please, please, please. Five days. Don't think five days or more, five day intervals are the absolutely ideal time to improve your semen quality. So again, another little piece of trivia that no one really needed to know. We all need to know all of it. This is is what I'm here. I am here to pick every teeny tiny nugget out of your brain. So the last thing that I think we really need to talk about is pain for the male dog when he's mounting. Mm -hmm. So if he has a back injury or back pain, a neck problem. But I think for the bitch too, don't you? For them to take that weight. Yeah. Yeah. To carry the weight of an extra dog bigger than her on her back. So if she cries or scoots out, that's not her fault. You maybe needed to look at what's going on. But the male, if he's just had a cruciate rupture repaired, do we really want that dog in our gene pool? You know, because most dogs that tear cruciates are spayed or neutered. So if they're intact and tearing a cruciate, there may be a genetic component to it. We don't know for sure. So don't say it's for sure, but just be sensitive to that. If he's got bad hips, if he's got a bad back, if his prostate is enlarged and it's painful, right? all of those things need to be taken into account. So if you have a male dog that's like, he seems interested, but he can't quite get there, Mm -hmm. you may consider talking to your veterinarian about pain medication. You may want to have him assessed to see where the source of the pain is. You may need a chiropractic adjustment. You may need some of those things done. So, you know, just be sensitive to the fact that sometimes dogs are doing this for a really good, valid reason, Mm -hmm. and you need to trust your male dog. If he's usually got good libido and that particular day he's off, maybe she's not ready. Maybe she said ugly words to him and you didn't see it happen Mm -hmm. because it's fast. I mean, a lot of times these bitches are quick and then you turn around and you don't even know it occurred because you stepped out of the room to go to the bathroom for a second. So there's a lot of things that you need to take into account. So, you know, we can recap it by saying, is it the female with a stricture? Is it the female with the timing? Is it a problem with illness, with incompatibility of size, with discomfort, with pain? with something else going on. We actually had one client that came in a couple of years ago for an ultrasound and she had an unplanned breeding, unplanned by her, planned by her dogs, that during the inauguration of Obama, she was watching the TV and turned around and found that she had missed the entire thing that the dogs decided they were going to create their own batch of puppies. So they were all named good inaugural names. Yes. You can have fun with this if you take it well. Yes. Making litter themes is one of my very favorite things ever in the entire history of the universe. It's what my mother and I used to enjoy most of all. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that go on here. So please involve your veterinarian. Patience. I think patience. Don't give up if that first time doesn't work. Give it a minute. Take a deep breath. Everybody relax. Try again. And know that you should almost always be prepared to be able to do a side-by-side collection and insemination. Right. Just be prepared. Even if you don't do it yourself, have your vet, whatever it is. That would be my thought. 
And a lot of times we'll do that. We'll have somebody that calls, they get a little twitchy. They're like, I think it should be happening. And I'm like, just come in, we'll do an AI. And then you know what? Tomorrow you can sit in your garage, your kennel, your living room, wherever you do your breeding, your motorhome, wherever you are, drink a glass of wine, just watch the dogs. And if they succeed, great. You didn't put the pressure on them. They already had a breeding done. You got the semen into the female at the right time. You can relax. And sometimes that's all it takes for the male to go, oh, really? Okay. And then he will be a lot more comfortable because you're not uptight and the females mm-hmm. already let him collect mm-hmm. and you can get a nice breeding and get a nice natural tie. And, you know, I still breed some of my dogs with natural ties. Believe it or not, dogs can still have sex. It's shocking. Yeah. Mostly when you don't want it. Almost inevitably when you don't want it. Yes. But remember, just because you think it's an unplanned breeding doesn't mean that they thought it was unplanned. They have been planning it for the exact right moment that you turned your back. My wire-haired Ibizan hound that I just lost, God rest his soul, he was literally called the unindicted felon because he had planned very carefully... (laughs) And Brad, one of my wire hair pointers, and I was not willing to make lurchers out of it. So I just said no. But yeah, it is amazing what they can accomplish when they put their minds to it. Yeah, we used to take care of a gorgeous beagle that was an import. And he would not let us collect semen. Absolutely, hands down, would not let us collect semen. But he had figured out how to get out of his kennel run and into every female's kennel run in the building and would secretively get in and breed them and then get back into his kennel so no one ever caught him. (laughs) There were a lot of little beagle puppies. Fortunately, they were all beagle bitches, so they were all purebreds. But yes, you can actually have a lot of that happen. So remember, when you say unplanned breeding, you might mean yourself was unplanned, but the dogs had it all planned out. Nailed down. Yep. The female was making it ready. The male was making a break for it. I think there's a country music song about this. I'm pretty sure there is. <laughs> I, I know there is. So just remember, love got you in here and love got you out. Love the, got you in here. Love got me out. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Next time you're trying to do a planned breeding, just play that song and it might bring you some smiles. It's my favorite. Yeah. So there's incompatibilities that can almost always be overcome with AI, transcervical insemination, some way to do it. But plan ahead, have your contingency plan in place. Don't wait till the last minute. Have plan A, have plan B. Just because you're expecting a semen shipment to come in doesn't mean that there's going to be a female at the vet clinic for our teaser. doesn't mean that the male dog is going to cooperate. So have plan A, have plan B. Don't be sitting in my parking lot crying that you can't get this all to work because you had six months to plan it or maybe years to plan it. Mm -hmm. So have your strategy in place, kind of know what you're doing. And don't forget that your veterinarian needs to be heavily involved in this because they are going to find things that as good a dog owner as you are, unless you're a veterinarian or a vet tech, you're going to miss something because it's not in your wheelhouse. So just plan ahead. That's all I can really say is we love it when a client calls us and says, Three months from now, when she comes into heat, I'm planning to breed her. And this is what I need to know. What should I feed her? What supplements should I have her on? What testing do I need to do ahead of time? Those are the clients that your veterinarian's going to open the doors and welcome with open arms because you're the ones that are really helpful and really great to work with. The last minute ones, as much as we try to make the best of it, it doesn't always work. So be aware that your veterinary clinic is doing their very best, but there's a limit. There's only so much you can do. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Marty, as always, I appreciate you tremendously, and I know everybody else does too. Well, thank you. Have yourself a great rest of your not really a day off. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much. All right, you all. I am so excited to let you know that Revival Animal Health is now a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. 
Revival Animal Health understands your commitment to be a dog breeder. And that's why Revival is the place to turn for all your dog breeding needs. As the pet vaccine experts, Revival is number one in selection. Breeders trust Revival to protect their moms and get their puppies off to a strong start. Revival offers a complete line of breeding products from pregnancy and whelping and newborn care to Revival's own reproductive and neonatal health brand, Breeders Edge. Revival's Director of Veterinary Services, somebody you might know, Dr. Marty Greer, is a leading expert in canine reproduction and neonatal care. Revival's online learning center is filled with free articles, videos, and webinars, sharing insights and tips on pet health topics, including breeding and newborn care. When you call Revival, a friendly and knowledgeable pet care pro will greet you. Revival's pet care pros receive regular training and are available to answer your dog breeding questions. Learn more today at RevivalAnimal.com. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech book. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, Give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.